I'm starting a series I've titled Everyday Vultures, and I'm going to give you the, the purpose or the reason behind that title uh, at the very end of today's message. Uh, so this whole message is setting up where we're going to go just for the next three weeks. Uh, today and the next two, uh, we're going to be talking about everyday vultures that we need to recognize and deal with, and uh, we'll, we'll see that in just a minute. Before we do, what I want to give you is our kind of a foundational verse uh, for uh, how we're going to venture uh, through our, our topics uh, this next three weeks. And it's found in Ecclesiastes, the third chapter. Solomon, wisest man who ever lived. That's not me saying it, it's God saying it. Uh, he had incredible wisdom uh, through uh, the Ecclesiastes, several chapters in Proverbs, even a few Psalms. And, and here's in Ecclesiastes 3, he says it like this in the Living Bible. He says, God does everything just right and on time. Would you say that with me? Repeat it right here. Duncan, Dieball, everybody, let's go. God does everything just right and on time. <laughs> Pause. And notice that I've highlighted the uh, the comma there because there's not a period. And it's like, okay, God bless you. You're dismissed. That's it. Uh, the, the scripture goes on to say he, he does everything just right and on time, but people can never completely understand what he's doing. His ways are higher. His, his thoughts are greater. And many times what we think God is doing, he's doing something different. When we think we, we should see him do it in a different way, he's got other plans. And navigating, navigating the reality of the front part of this scripture that he does everything right and on time, it takes an element of this little thing that's foundational to our Christ following. And it's this little word called faith. Now, I will tell you that I've made faith really big on the screen here. You don't have to have a faith of a mountain to move a mustard seed. It's actually completely reversed. It says faith of a mustard seed to move a, to move a mountain. It's not about getting more and more faith. It's simply having faith. So you don't have to have the big size faith, but you, it is a requirement to truly understand God, to truly live out the Christ-filled life, the life of Christian character and conduct and conviction, we have to have an element of faith. To define this idea of faith, uh, we see it in Hebrews 11. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It, it shows it to us, what we're hoping to see. It, the fa Faith is the evidence, though, of things we cannot see. We, we can't see it. We, we, we can't prove it. Another working definition would be trusting. Faith is trusting in something you cannot explicitly prove. God's going to take care of it. You prove it. I just, I just know God's going to take care of it one way or the other. That faith of believing when you can't quite see what's around the bend. And here's, here, here's the good thing, but it's also the scary thing. Uh, it's, it's by grace we're saved. It's not by how much faith you have, but you have to have faith to believe that it's by grace through faith. By faith through grace that you're saved. We have to know that, we have to believe that, that we're just saved by grace. And so we need to be able to do that. And here's, here's another uh, reality, but it's a little, it's a little uh, can be intimidating. And it's this, uh, Hebrews 11, 5, 6. It is what? Impossible to please God without faith. So, so 
Truly believing God is who he says he is is foundational if you really want to follow after what God has for you. You cannot say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this thing and, you know, fingers crossed, bite your bottom lip. Let's see if the parachute deploys or not. Woohoo! Like there's got to be an element of faith or we just would just find ourselves at the end of the at the end of our walk just not being pleased and, and God saying oh why didn't you just trust me now we don't just birth into all this faith we we we, we have a process in fact I've I've called it four facets of faith that we're going to unpack today and we see it in the life of several characters through the Bible one in particular uh, is the father of many nations a critical player in the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, his name is Abraham and we see throughout Abraham's life all sorts of elements where that faith, those facets of faith were being developed and so that he later on in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11 is like the hall of fame, uh, the hall of faith, if you will, and all kinds of people named in, in, in Hebrews that had crazy faith, a radical amount of faith, just trusting God through the thick and through the thin. And we read about Abraham and, and, and in his life we see these facets. So take your notes and let's write a couple of these down. Facet number one, faith starts starts like this. God has a dream for my life. Now that dream could be direction. That dream could be a promise. That dream could be guidance. That dream could be something birthed inside of you at a young age. Something that plants at an old age. Uh, Something that is God-directed. He places a dream in our life. He has a dream for your life. He has desire for you to follow hard after him, but there's also a unique reason why you're here on this earth. We've said it before, there's two most important days in your life, the day you were born and the day you find out why. And that's a God-ordained why behind why you're here. So we see this kind of begin to unfold in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord says to Abram, Abram, he's given him this dream. Leave your native country and your relatives and your father's family and go. It, 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 there's an act, active part on our side. God just doesn't deposit the dream and he says, just sit back and watch. There's times where we have to let God be God and we can't do anything. And, the, and we're going to see that. But there's also a partnership, a little, bit of a, a little bit of a dance, if you will, that he says and we activate we move go to the land that I will show you I will promise number one make you into a great nation I will bless you and make you famous and now it's his part it's a partnership you will be a blessing to others it's important that God is setting setting him up and placing in him in a, in a position of prominence, in a position of, of, of wealth, a position of authority, a position of leadership, not just so that he can say, look what I did, but so that he can be a blessing to others. God goes on to say, I'll bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families, and this is a sneak peek. This is what we call a messianic prophecy, a prophecy about the Messiah. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. 
It's an indication that through Abraham, through the Jewish nation, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then Jacob, the 12 tribes, and out of the fourth son of Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel, that fourth son, Judah, out of the tribe of Judah would come the Messiah, the anointed one. And at first they, they thought, oh, it must be David, King David. He's the anointed one. But it was out of David then we see Jesus come on the scene and all the families on earth will be blessed through him. That's the first facet. I am given a dream by God. Facet number two, I make the decision to follow God's dream. If you don't want to follow God, you don't have to. You don't have to. That's, that's, the, that's the beauty of almighty loving God, that he doesn't force anything. If you don't want to live close to him now on this side of eternity, you don't have to live close to him on the other side of eternity. He doesn't force anything on us. And we make the decision to follow God's dream. And immediately Genesis says, so Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot, his nephew. Uh, Abraham was the three, uh, one of three boys and one of his brothers died early. He had a son named Lot and little nephew Lot went with Abram uh, Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Let me tell you something, senior saints. Uh, when you say, man, I've just kind of given my best, you, you just, you never know what God has next. Until the day you breathe your last and you're in eternity with Jesus face to face, God can still use you. And as I said last week, I'm inviting our grandparents, our grandfathers and grandmothers, our, our moms and our dads to become spiritual grandparents and spiritual mothers and fathers uh, for people that so desperately need it. We are in a culture and a generation that needs some examples out of some spirit-filled hungry for Christ, grandmas and grandpas, moms and dads. 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all his wealth, his livestock, all the people he had taken into his household. Basically, Abraham, Abraham Inc. picked up all their offices, all their commodities, all of their stuff. They packed up the wagons, his whole household at Haran, and they headed for the land of Canaan. Now, what we're gonna do, is we're going to jump down and we're going to give you the, the final facet, facet number four. And it's, I receive the delivery of God's dream. It's at the very bottom of your worship guide. I receive the delivery. So I've got a dream that God has for me. I make a decision to follow it. And then I get to enjoy that delivery of that dream. And the Bible goes on to say in Genesis 21, only seven chapters later, the Lord kept his word. And did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. In Hebrews, uh, he said, well, Genesis, she, she became pregnant. She gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. Now, watch this. In his old age, 25 years later, this happened at just the time God had said it would. Not necessarily Abram or Sarai, whose names were later changed to Abraham and Sarah. But it did happen right on time with the way Abraham said, uh, the way God said it would happen, and Abraham named their son Isaac, which was the beginning of the seed that sprouts, that creates this promise of many descendants. Remember our first scripture? God does everything just right and on time. So let's review. 
Facet number one, God has a dream for my life. Facet number two, I make the decision to follow God's dream. Facet number four, I receive the delivery of God's dream. Wouldn't it be great if there was only three out of four facets? That would make life a little bit easier if there were just three phases of faith versus four facets of faith. But this whole middle part is, is tough. This whole middle part between what God says and how it happens in our lives, we have tried for a long time to create our own human formulas to, to, to kind of jump over this part. Well, if you just, if you pray harder, if you speak this specific kind of prayer, if you, if you, if you just give a $100 seed right here on the television, you will bypass aha, the third facet of faith. But anybody that has like two feet and a heartbeat knows that doesn't happen often. That we all have to walk through this third facet. And here's, here's what we're calling that third facet. I experience the discomfort of development. It's this interesting paradox. It's a process of development, that third facet. But it's also uncomfortable. Development and discipline is never like <laughs> fun. Like my kids don't, you know, my son, when he gets in trouble, he doesn't say, dad, discipline me. Like it, it don't happen like that. It doesn't happen like that. There's a discomfort in development. There's a discomfort in discipline. And I'm calling this, this space between the dream and the delivery of the dream, mayhem in the middle. Would you say it with me, all locations? Mayhem in the middle. And maybe you are someone who lived through it. Or maybe you're in the middle of it. There is mayhem in the middle. And here's some things we can find in the middle of following after God. These are some things that kind of we, we will face head on. The first one, you can write it down, uh, discord. Another word to say would be conflict. Um, disputes. Challenges relationally. Challenges in business. Like you name it. There's just going to be some discord. So as they venture out, we see in Genesis, Lot, okay, his nephew who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, and many tents. So he's building, you know, uh, Lot Enterprises, Abraham Inc. and Lot Enterprises, and they're just, just grunts like Pepsi and Coca-Cola out there. And here's what happens. The land could not support both of them. Couldn't support Abram and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. So what naturally happens? Disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. And they, they, they were fighting. There was discord. There was disputes and conflict. And so Abraham gathers Lot and he says, look, 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 look. Let's not allow this conflict to come between us and our herdsmen. After all, we're close relatives. Oh, friends. Whatever dispute you've had, especially with those that are your close family, don't let the mayhem in the middle take away the people that, that God placed in your life as family. If as much as it depends on you, don't get stalled out by bitterness. Propel yourself forward with forgiveness. Don't let disputes and conflict hold you back. 
the story goes on that, that Lot said, let's settle this. Let's, we're, we're family here. And so he takes him up to a kind of a mountaintop and he shows him a valley. And we don't have a picture of that Jordan Valley in Canaan, but I do have a picture of California. And, and you can see that as they're standing on the mountaintop, Abram says, guess what, Lot? You choose. What, whatever, whatever you decide, do you want the part that's in the bottom of the picture or would you rather have the part in the middle of the picture? Now, let's be honest. How many of you would say, if I could build my retirement home, would I build it here around the country club golf course or would you build it like, you know, here? Which one would you build around the country club? Yeah, the rest of you are liars. No, no, no. So Lot says, ooh, I, I kind of like, no offense, you know, uncle, but I kind of like, you know, I like teeing off in the morning, and this is kind of neat, and the HOAs are really low, and, and yeah, I think I'm just going to set up camp around that lush area. And Abram says, okay. And Abram trusted God in the middle of that business transaction to take on the dry area, the rocky area, the area that, again, they're building their fortunes on on cattle and sheep that need grass. It's hard to live on chewing rocks. It's hard. And yet Abram makes that choice. And here, I want to just show you that God gives a lip, just, he just reminds Abram in the middle of all this. After he says, Lot, you go your way, I'll go mine, I'll take the rocky road. And he's, after Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, hey, 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 look. You're not just going to have the rocky area. As far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. I'm going to give all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. I'm going to give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth. That's a lot. They cannot be counted. Even in the middle of the dispute or the discord, in the mayhem in the middle, God was still planting seeds of that promise, seeds of that dream, don't give up now. I know that the terrain doesn't look great for the future, but I haven't forgotten my promise. Some of you need to remember that. No matter what the terrain looks like physically, relationally, financially, spiritually, God has a promise. He is a deliverer. He, he can give grace where you feel like you are graced out. There's more grace. But the other part of the mayhem in the middle is distractions. The very next chapter, after all this happens, after they split, the very next chapter, verse 1, starts like this. About this time, war broke out in the region. Oh, that's awesome. Just like we were just, you know, party, hearty, stock is up. We just were able to give dividends to all of our shareholder herdsmen. Now war breaks out in the region, and it's nuts. It is wheels off five kings over here four kings over here in a huge dispute and in that war lot and his family are taken as prisoners of that war they're taken captive and abram and his herdsmen he didn't like have soldiers like abram and his crew they 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 saddle up and they say, let's go get Lot back. And sure enough, I mean, it's a miracle that Abram's company, it's like, you know, his, his accountants and, and his custodial department, they, 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 like, they run after and they defeat 
and they get Lot and his family back. But that's a distraction. Hey, don't forget Lot, Abram, I'm gonna give you all these promises. And now he's having to go to war. It's the first war we read of in scripture. Here's another part of mayhem in the middle. Maybe you're dealing with discord or distraction. Maybe that's not it. Maybe it's, maybe you just come up against some difficulties and detours. Some difficulties. And then because of difficulties, maybe you've chosen to put the right, to put the blinker on and turn right instead of just stay with, stay with the construction. Maybe you said, you know what, I'm all Vera, I'm gonna find my own way. Let's 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 recalculate on this map here. And that's what happens with Abram and Sarai. They, they recalculate. They come up with some difficulties, and we see both of them right here. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. That's a difficulty, being that, like, they're supposed to have kids that outnumber the dust. And she hadn't had any kids yet. But, but, you know, she's thinking about it. She did have an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, look, okay, look, Abe, Lord's kept me from having children. Okay, you know that, I know that. Oven's closed for business. No more cupcakes. Cupcakes ain't being baked. And so she says, here, you go sleep with my slave. And perhaps I can build a family through her. I just want you to notice that it's not, even a, it's not even the next verse. It's the same verse. This is scary. But the very same verse, I read it like this. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. He's tripping over his pants, running to the tent. Whatever you say, dear, I love you. Detour, difficulties and detour. And here's the deal, after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, so from the time of that first promise, with the discord and the distractions and the difficulties, 10 years ago, a decade. And so I'm like, after a decade, maybe it's okay that we do our own thing. Maybe God will understand if it just, I just want to be, I've lived with them for 10 years. I was married 10 years, but I just, I gave them to, I just can't, I'm getting older and I'm not happy. And I just, maybe I just need to try something different. And we detour when many times I believe that mayhem in the middle is like the pressure on coal. There, there, there's diamonds there, but... It's not fun or easy or simple. Fast forward to the delivery of that promise. And then after the promise, we get to a dead end. Like, so now he waited 25 years before Isaac is born. Isaac is now born and he's growing. And after he's growing... Genesis 22, God tests Abraham's faith. Again, take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. This is a hard thing to read, but you're not God. And God has this huge universal picture, this omnipresent, omniscient picture of how he's laying out his story of redemption for mankind. He's not specifically asking him to do child sacrifice. 
but he is setting up, he's setting up a scenario to show the whole Jewish people, all of us and every person that's yet to come, your children and your children's children, that he provides, he provides in the middle of sacrifice and the one true sacrifice, his one and only son. He didn't even make Abraham sacrifice his son. He says, what you can't do, what, what, what you may have been willing to do, I will do. I will follow through with. You know, maybe sometimes it feels like you was a promise and then you hit a dead end. What does this mean? And we have to, we have to struggle through the discomfort. You know, those, those caterpillars that, that get into a cocoon, if you were to cut them open and help them come out of that, 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 that process, you would, you would kill that butterfly. There is something about pushing through the cocoon that strengthens that butterfly enough to where when they finally push through what seems like a dead end, they've got the strength to make it, to, to be able to, to gain flight and go where they were designed to go. But now let's go from dead end and let's back up again. You've ever watched a movie where you see part of it and then you go back in time and then you see it again in the future and then you go back? We're going to pull back now into the middle of all this. It's right there kind of in the middle of this discord and distraction and difficulties and dead ends. And we're calling it number five, delay. Delay. And all of, we just are impatient people. We struggle when we have to deal with delay. I mean, our phones are sending signals to satellites in space in zeros and ones. And it's going across, across land to somebody else's cell phone. So you can just put an emoji of a guy that's got a yellow face with their tongue sticking out. And like you hit a satellite to do that. And when it takes a little bit longer than you want, you're like, come on, come on. We just struggle with delay. And through all this, through all this, how do we make it through the mayhem? How do we make it through that struggle? How do we make it through the delay? Well, we see Abram dealing with this. And I, I love this little story tucked away in all of, all of this mayhem in Abram's life. It's in Genesis 15. And it starts with sometime later, basically meaning after those wars that he had to fight to get Lot back. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and he said to him, don't be afraid, Abram. Why do you think the Lord was telling Abram not to be afraid? Because he was probably afraid. Now that he had rescued his family, what kind of retaliation was next? Or is this really going to ever happen? God, where, where are you right now? What's going to happen? Don't be afraid. I'm going to protect you and your reward will be great. And here's, what, here's how Abraham responds. Oh, sovereign Lord. Now, he's not forgetting you are sovereign. You're in control. What good though? Can I tell you, if you're going to talk real with somebody, talk real with God. Talk real with God. What good are your blessings when I don't even have a son? I mean, you say all these things, but like there's no, there's not even a seed that's been planted. Like I've got no, I've got no boy to show for these promises. And since you've given me no children, 
Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household. He's going to inherit all my wealth. Basically saying like, I, I, don't, I don't have anything to like build here. As much as I have, it's just going to be given to someone that, I, that has been a servant. So then the Lord said, no, 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 no. Your servant's not going to be your heir. You will have a son, but it's been years. You're going to have a son of your own who will be your heir. Can I say something to you, those that have gone to church for a long time, and maybe you hear the same thing, and then you have a friend who gets sick or something, you've heard the same thing, God heals, God's a healer, we can try. And, and maybe you've heard some things, and then you've seen hurt. You've heard some things, but then you've seen God not move the way you were praying that he would move. And many times what can happen is, as we're reminded of those things, instead of going, yes, yes, you're right, we go, huh, heard that one before. And you know what? That's an attack on faith. It's an attack on that faith of believing and trusting something that you can't explicitly prove. You're going to have a son of your own. He's going to be your heir. The Lord took Abram outside and he said to him, would you look up into the side? We've talked about, we've talked about dust. Now I want you to look up. Count the stars if you can do it. That's how many descendants you will have. And here's the next, here's, here's, what, here's what happens with Abram. And Abram believed the Lord. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. But I want you to remember that in that same conversation, he's saying, are, how are you going to bless me? How are you going to bless me? I don't even have a son. Like, then he shows me, he says, okay, next week, I'm going to unpack this reality of being a Christian and believing but dealing with our doubts in real time where we believe in God but maybe we're afraid because we doubt something or we struggle with something and, and we're like oh maybe Christians shouldn't doubt I'm going to talk to you about how to how not to lose your belief when you struggle with with doubting and that's what Abram's doing he believed the Lord even though he was struggling just the scripture before so if you want to make it through the mayhem in the middle write this down recognize it and embrace it just embrace the discomfort of development. Here's how you do that. Every time you go through the crucible of life, you get some people around you. You get some promises in the scripture that you're reading. And you're saying, okay, God, I'm going to remember. I'm going to choose to remember. I'm going to choose to recognize the Christian walk isn't slow motion run through a field of flowers like Julie Andrews and the sound of music. But like it, it can be prickly and thorny and I'm going to embrace. You must be getting ready to do something big. You must be getting ready to teach me something that the, that the field of flowers just couldn't teach me. And so God, I'm going to embrace this and help me to become who you are calling me to become in the middle of the mayhem. Abram. God says to Abram, the Lord told him, I'm the Lord who brought you out. Remember this. He's remembering and recognizing and embracing. I brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But that guy who had faith, who believed, here he is again, like right now. And just a two scriptures later, sovereign Lord, again, sovereign Lord, how can I be sure? How can I be sure that I'll actually... Possess it. And here we see God do something unique. We see God set up 
a ritual, a, a covenant with Abram. He says, <clears throat> okay, here's how, here's how I'm going to promise to you. Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, a young pigeon, and a partridge. No, that's not in there. Bring me all that. So Abram presented all these to him, and he, and he killed them. This is a sacrifice. This is a blood sacrifice. And if it wasn't any more already gory, he then cut each animal down the middle and he laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds uh, in half. It's a whole different message for a whole different day. So you cut, you know, you're standing in the middle. I mean, it is like it is a crime scene. Just bloody body parts of these animals. Blood pouring. And here's what happens. As he makes this sacrifice for God, some vultures swoop down to eat the carcasses. Some, some vultures. There's some things that are designed to smell blood. And some vultures swoop down to eat the carcasses. But what did Abram do? He chased them away. God's going to do what only he can do. But friends... You got to chase away some vultures. There are some vultures that have got names. We'll talk about a few, like doubt, devastation. Maybe for some of you, that vulture is called Dave. <laughs> okay. People in your life and circumstances in your life, critics in your life, that, that, that whenever there is a sacrifice, whenever you try to step forward and really trust and sacrifice, just know, just know, there will be vultures. There will, there will be opposition. But more than you chasing away the vultures, more than you having that determination, I'm gonna sacrifice. And you know, one of the greatest ways we chase away the vultures, can I tell you this? A sacrifice of praise. Remembering, God, you are who you say you are. When we come into this service on Sunday morning, it's not what did I get out of worship, but God, did you get your worship out of me? Because as I worship God, whether I know the lyrics or not, whether I know the song or not, whether, 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 whether I uh, like the music or not, am I going to allow this sacrifice of praise to remind me that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to chase some vultures away and I'm going to prepare a sacrifice of praise for you today, Jesus. You know what you need to remember? God will keep the covenant. This whole thing was designed. You ever heard the, the idea of... Um, Blood is thicker than water. Okay, this isn't a comparison of two liquids. Uh, this, this is a statement made that kings would make that blood is thicker than water, meaning that if we were to make a blood covenant together, that is a deeper covenant than a water covenant. And the water covenant basically meaning birth. When the water breaks and the mom gives birth to the child, the water, the water that connects mother and child blood is thicker than water and kings would sacrifice 
make these covenants, Caesarean covenants, and they would walk through together. One would start on that end and one would start on this end, and they would walk through this messy, bloody, just pile of sacrifice. Their robes would get bloody. Their sandals would get bloody. They would walk through in a, in a figure eight, meaning infinite, like an infinity circle, meaning this is unbreakable, this never ends. And they would say things like, may, be, may it be done to me what has been done to this bull. May it be done to me what has been done to this goat if I allow anything to break this covenant. And two kings would join forces or two groups would combine efforts by making this blood covenant. Both had to be a part. Here's what, we, here's what we read in Genesis. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. This is an imagery of God. He's not, he's not just like a man. He's not just like a, he, he's not, you know, he doesn't look like Santa Claus. He, the, 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 you, you, can't, you can't describe God in one word. In this image of God, he's a fire pot and a flaming torch, and, and he's just this light and direction. And he passes between the halves of the carcasses, so the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Abram never walked through. It was all God. It was all God, it was all God that walked through. When kings would say, you walk through, I walk through, we're in this together, God says, there's no way you can, you just walk, watch me. Watch me walk through this. You chase away vultures, Embrace the discipline that comes, the discomfort that comes with development. I'm going to walk through and make my covenant. Aren't you so thankful that the sacrifice we make is one of praise and worship to him. And the sacrifice he made for us is that God so loved the world. He sacrificed his one and only son. So today I wonder if maybe you've been trying to walk through to please God. I wonder if you've let some vultures sneak in and they're picking away at the sacrifice because of busyness, distractions, detours, disputes and discord. And I want you to know, God is the one who keeps his covenant. But he says, hey now, recognize, embrace. And I, and I want the people at Timber Creek Church to be the kind of, the kind of people that, that just chase away the vultures. And you know what? You're chasing away vultures and you're seeing some vultures on your children. And you're chasing away the vultures. And you see, you see vultures at the school students and you're chasing away vultures because you believe in people. And we're here in this together to rely on what God only he can do as we help one another fight the good fight. Would you pray with me? Close your eyes, bow your heads. If you're here today, Maybe there's been some vultures trying to steal some stuff from you. A discord, a distraction, a detour. You've, you've been on a detour. You, you may have your own name for it. It may be a double cross. It, it, may, be a fr it may be a person. It may be a, a, a deal, a business deal. And it's just like the vultures trying to steal away your sacrifice of praise, truly trusting in God. Now you're doubting and those doubts have grown up and it's, it's not where you want to be. If, if that's you, just in a moment of honesty, the same way Abram was honest with God, would you be honest with God and let me just pray with you? Would you just put a hand up? I, I've been struggling with some vultures, stealing my stuff. I'm done. I'm done. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can put your hands down. 
Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you did not leave us alone in the fight. Thank you that your promises are yes and amen. 7,000 promises in your word. And we can, we can lean on all of them. And so, Lord, palms up to you today. Would you, would you help us? We are strength. We can't, we can't do all of it on our own. Thank you, Lord, that when our strength isn't perfect, your strength is. And what we can't fight, would you? <laughs> In fact, the victory is ours, but the battle is yours. So, Jesus, would you, would you fight for me? as I put my faith in you and surrender to the flesh, surrender that flesh to you, surrender that thing to you, surrender that situation to you. Would you fight for me as I trust in your covenant? Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're here and you need to invite Jesus to be the savior of your life, the center of your life, You've been trying to walk through this whole thing by yourself. you got mayhem in the middle, but you're doing it alone. Oh, my goodness. Nobody ever was meant to go like that alone. God is with us. If that's you, say, I've been doing it on my own. I've drifted or I've never invited Jesus to be the center of my life. But you'd like to do that. Duncan Dieball right here in Lufkin, would you just put a hand up in the air? I want to pray with you too. And Yeah. In your own words, you'd simply say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. do what I can't do cleanse me of my sin stuff that separates me from you I surrender to you I'm going to begin to follow you with all my heart help me to figure that out and guide me in that direction in Jesus name Amen